Hello, I'm Dr. Greg Winteregg, CEO of the Private Dentist Alliance. I want to talk to all of you students out there today who are wondering what your future is going to be like as a career in dentistry, as an assistant, as a hygienist, as a dentist, where is this profession going with the rapid increase of the DSO movement? I'm here to tell you the PDA is going to help you and I want you to become a member today. It is free. Now, why should you become a member? You're gonna get weekly video updates from me and you're gonna get regular updates of our newsletters from the Alliance on exactly what is happening and how we are going to help preserve and protect the private practice of dentistry. Now to me, the most important advantage is you are going to get access to our job board. What is that? Our private practicing members all have access to our PDA job board, which means if they have an opening in their private practice of assistant, hygienist, doctor, front office staff, they're going to be able to post it. And you're gonna be able to check up regularly. And as our membership grows, we're gonna be covering larger and larger territories across the United States. If you are looking for a job in any position in the office of a private practice, you need to become a student member today. It is free. Go to www.privatedental.org and become a student member today. You're gonna to love your benefits. Do it now. What is up, guys? It's your boy, Matt Havis, back out of the Dental Supervisors Podcast. Today, we have an awesome interview for you. We have Dr. Nathan Kufferman joining us back. He is the Knack Dental head honcho. He is the owner of the group practice based in Tallahassee, Florida. He is killing the game right now. Today, he sits down with us yet again to discuss all things group practice, how to build one, how he grew his, how he made his flourish, and the tips and tricks that he has on allowing us to grow our own group practices. Tune in. He's a great guy. Reach out to him if you have any questions. He's more than happy to answer. Truly, truly wonderful guy. He loves mentoring. He loves helping young dentists grow. So tune in. Let us know what you think. Give us a like, comment, or review on Instagram at dental.student.vibes. Make sure you guys shoot us a DM if you have any questions or if you guys just want to give us some feedback on how we're doing. So as always, vibe on. Welcome back to another episode of the Dental Student Vibes podcast. I'm Seth, there's Cole, there's Matt, and today we have a very special guest with us, Dr. Nathan Kupperman. Dr. Nathan, how are you today? Good, back for a uh, third time here now. Third time, yes sir. Third time's a charm. I think you're the leading runner runner and guest appearances. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, a, a fan favorite. Fan favorites, right? Yeah. Yeah, we got a lot of good reviews from his episodes. Definitely. Yeah. I know that second episode we got a good amount of listeners, yeah. right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So uh, Dr. Kupperman here has also been on Howard Ferran's Dentistry Uncensored podcast. He's kind of started running the circuit because everybody wants to talk to him, you know? So uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Dr. Kupperman's group that he has. Uh, he's located in Florida. And uh, so first off, I know, I think we did at least a year ago was our last, maybe two years ago. Yeah, it was about two years ago. Yeah. It's kind of when I was like first getting started off. Right. So yeah. I think you had... Was it three practices at that time? Yeah, we yeah. Had three offices, and I think we had like four doctors. Right. Now we're at five offices, 10 doctors. So definitely had some pretty good growth in the in recent good time. Yeah. God bless. Wow. Yeah. Right. So um, Dr. Kupperman, like I said, is in uh, 
North Florida, and he has had a very incredible journey uh, to become the owner of a group practice. Um, so Dr. Cuffman, can you kind of give us a, a 30 second synopsis of where you went from when you started dental school to where you're at now? Okay, so kind of like how we discussed in the previous podcast, just give a quick, quick summary. I was an associate for two years, became an independent contractor for about a year, rotated about um, 12 different offices, came across a group of three offices that were kind of struggling, um, ended up getting a good deal of seller financing, uh, Bank of America helped me out, and then ended up closing on those. But one thing that was crucial to, I think, my success in general was just a lot of reading on business tax, leadership. And then also, too, those first two years of being an associate was very crucial for my clinical development. So I think my associateship was really supportive. I got some good CE. It was at a fee-for-service office where the doctor was, you know, definitely supporting me. And that, that I think, was vital to, um, to my success because it would be pretty tough to own and run an office if you didn't really know how to practice dentistry. What do you think about that, Seth? Uh, I would assume so. I mean, however, there are corporate groups out there that um, they that don't, they don't practice the dentistry, piece. you know, <laughs> but are the doctors always the happiest? That's to be determined. You know, sometimes they're not, sometimes they are, but it's, you know, it, it is great to be a part of a group where it's dentist owned because the dentists know what you've been through, right? Mm -hmm. And I guess too, like not to be the devil's advocate, but corporate does, I think, believe have a, a, um, a continuing education. They probably have an onboarding process where they train doctors. Now, you know, I don't, I'm not sure about the actual training. I've always heard that Heartland has really good continuing education, but I'm sure they're not just, you know, plugging the dentist in, like not knowing how to do anything. And then also too, you know, there's probably mentor docs there too, that are kind of looking over their shoulder, but. I think it's a little bit more personalized maybe in private practice, but mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, you could definitely say that. I, I think that's definitely um, something that a lot of people are looking forward to uh, or looking for when they're searching for their first uh, job, like right out of school, like Matthew and I, we're currently fourth year dental students. Um, you know, what's crazy is I went back and I listened to when we were D1s sound like such a child back <laughs> like we're so worried about like how to do a filling like oh my god but well, think about all the people that you've talked to over the years i mean you guys in itself the networking and you know the literature and the stuff that you're reading and the guys the stuff that you're studying you're talking to me about you know sure. seven uh, habits of highly effective people just, yeah. just books like that i mean that's 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 the place to get started and it's amazing how quickly you can develop if you just start to focus on the right material the right mm -hmm. literature absolutely. right yeah. yeah. So, so, uh, Dr. Cuffman, which, uh, books or resources, like you're saying, what, what do you like to look at? What, what's something that's been interesting to you recently? Um, gosh, recently, there's just been so many different things. I'm just at kind of a different point. There's a book about like multifamily real estate, which I've just really dived into about larger multifamily projects, like big apartment complexes and like the whole process of those deals, like finding the deals, the acquisition process, the underwriting process which I think is pretty, pretty fascinating. But I mean, obviously, you know, you're in dental school, you probably want to focus a little bit more on like leadership uh, literature. I don't know if I mentioned it before, but like, you know, Maxwell's the 21 laws of leadership. Mm -hmm. That's just like a basic one that that's one that I like to go through with, um, with the newer uh, grads that I hire. The biggest thing is in the beginning is like, you really got to focus on the leadership and 
presentation and kind of telling your story and being able to win the patient over and build rapport. That's probably one of the most important things. So leadership books, um, what's the other one to, to influence friends and family? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when, when it's a Carnegie, 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 yeah, yeah, Carnegie, yeah. yeah. How to win friends. And yeah, I mean, that's yeah. just, yeah. that's that's an easy one. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, those are just some basics. Okay. Yeah. You know, you can buy a summary of those books now. You don't have to. Read I know it's it's ridiculous. It's like, man, I had to sit down and I had to read all these books, yeah. and now you can go and like you can listen to them for fifteen minutes, and you basically get the the generalized concepts. Like you get you get the the message, and you're like, okay, on to the next one. You can burn through you know twenty books in a week, and right. then boom, you have the, you have the information. But there's something so just enjoyable about that simple thing of like flipping the page. Mm -hmm. You know, you like you accomplish the book one page at a time. Mm -hmm. You know, I just find that to be so enjoyable. Like you've it's like a small victory. And then at the end, we get to close the, the back cover. I really enjoy doing that. I, I hate reading. I really do. But I'm learning like as I get older, it's probably better to read than not to read. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I've, I'm slowly learning to like it and I, I'm enjoying it now. And I, I look at it from how I enjoy it is flipping the page. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was the same way too, man. I used to hate reading. And really? I think it's because it's like a subconscious thing. I mean, in school, we've, we're academics, man. We've been in school our whole lives. And it's like you're it's almost like you're punished, like you're forced mm -hmm. to read and like study exactly. up on something that you're not necessarily interested in. So you just associate like reading with, oh gosh, it's like yeah. a chore. Yeah. But then when you get out and like you start reading and learning about stuff that you actually really, you know, are interested in and care about, all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's inspiring. Sometimes, you know, you'll be in a slump and you're like, I don't know, you just are in a little slump or something. And then, you know, you read an excerpt or you, you know, you listen to something, it, it's very inspiring. You're like, you get new ideas, mm -hmm. you know? And then that's that's how everything spawns. Are you telling me you didn't like reading about the Krebs cycle? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. I feel like that Paul Goodman guy talks about the Krebs cycle every day. Oh yeah. On Dental he, Nachos. Oh, he's strange. got the go-tos. He's always, he's always talking about the Krebs cycle. Well, <laughs> I know the third step, but I don't want to buy practice. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, well, let's talk more about leadership in uh, the dental practice so what are uh some things when you've been training new associates what are some things that could be useful to our listeners um of like may maybe like a story or something that would demonstrate leadership like something maybe uh cal or, or somebody has has done yeah ultimately any practice is success like the bottleneck is the dentist right that's where it all starts and you know you can have everything in place but if you don't have a strong dentist leader that is building rapport with the patient then you're kind of you're kind of dead in the water. So I think one thing that I like to go with, especially new grads, because the majority of my hires have been new grads, is the confidence aspect. You really have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in yourself. And even in like, you know, you got to kind of fake it till you make it in the beginning. But the confidence, the firm handshake, eye contact, speaking slowly, speaking confidently is probably one of the most crucial things that's going to be a big breakthrough because a lot of times you come out of school and you have this academic Latin in your head and you want to speak dentistry and you feel like you're speaking to you know your classmate. No, it's a it's a patient. They have no idea. So breaking things down into layman terms that are understandable, um, I think is just so so crucial. And communication, rapport, you know, mm -hmm. building the relationship. They're a human. They're a patient. They're not you know like a production number. You want to focus on that the relationship like the human elements of practicing dentistry is the most important thing ever and once you can embrace that and the patients are going to feel that and then everything else kind of comes mm -hmm. so yeah. and then they trust you that you're going to have their best interest in mind uh -huh. right exactly yeah
So, so run me through, like, we talk about how important this is, like your new patient exam. Mm. You have any, any patient comes in any one of your offices and they're sitting down for you for the first time. What are some go-tos that you like highly recommend and what you, you instill upon your, your new grad hires uh, like right away? Well, sometimes I'll kind of just have them watch me do exams, but I mean, I'm pretty simple, traditional. When I go in, I go and I say, hi, hello, I'm Dr. Kupperman. Nice to meet you. And I'm just a man of few words. And I say, what brings you in today? How can I help you? Talk to me. And I sit down and I look at them right in the eye and I just listen to them. And I just want to listen to them. And I'm listening. I'm like, what? I'm like, what are they actually in here for? I'm like, what the hell is this person doing in here? They're in the mm-hmm. dentist chair for a reason. So I'm trying to realize, is it cosmetics? Is it pain? Is it, do they just need a cleaning? And, I, and then once I find out what they want, then I hyper-focus in on that. Because then once you focus on what they want, then the patient is like, oh, wow, this doctor is actually listening to me. Very cool. Wow, they're listening. Right, right. And then you're able to build that relationship. Then you take care of like the one thing that they're there for, they're needed, you win their trust over, and then you can bring them back and do the comprehensive dentistry. You can do the comprehensive exam and everything else. But a lot of times, as you know, we're doctors, we want to come in and we do comprehensive off the bat and like, you yeah. know, tell them everything they got going on, mm-hmm. but that can overwhelm the patient. And at the end of the day, it ends up doing them no good because then they say, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm never going back to the dentist again. Like, right. how does that help yeah. them? As opposed to focusing on one thing, mm-hmm. doing it, and then go, moving forward right. from there. Yeah. So, so if somebody's like a patient walks in and what they want versus what they need are completely just mm-hmm. polar ends of the spectrum, mm-hmm. how do you bridge that gap? Well, again, too, it's got to be ethically sound right so mm-hmm. like you know you don't want to be doing full mouth reconstruction or full mouth crowns on somebody that has a bunch of you know perio but if it's something smaller like say they come in and say they're missing their their lower right side and say they're like oh you know i really want to have my my i really want to be able to chew again i want to be able to eat again I'm like this is just driving me nuts mm-hmm. so when they go in maybe you know they have they have a little bit of you know small like decay or they have maybe have a little bit of period that they need taken care of but they're in there today and they want to they they want teeth on their lower right side so if they want to start with the you know immediate implants that day then do it they're in there they have the money they're ready to start there's nothing to say that you can't open the patient up place two implants close the gum shut let them heal Mm -hmm. and then bring them back and do the rest of the comprehensive exam who's to say that that's 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 wrong or right you know so that's that's just kind of that's, that's something. So I, yeah, yeah. And I understand what you're saying, but, um, I've got, so I went to, uh, interview out of practice recently Mm -hmm. and the way that the dentist practice very similar to what you're saying. And it, that, I mean, that just makes sense. You want to address the patient's chief concern, chief complaint right off the bat so that they'll come back. Like that's establishing rapport. You don't go Mm -hmm. in for something and then you're like, no, you need to do this first. Cause it, I mean, you know, if if you do that anywhere else, it kind of, but at the same time, so I, I've got like a patient in um, clinic right now, everything's bombed out. Um, and essentially like they need like five surface fillings, AKA they need crowns on just about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that the school wants me to uh, approach it is to do buildups, like as if they're five surface fillings on everything first before even starting the crowns. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that's not what they came here for. They came for like, They've got like their, their front teeth anteriors are blown. So mm-hmm. they're, I mean, what do you do? You know, it's kind of like j- just these different practices. So tell them what you did do. Cause this is a really good way you bridged. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. So it's, it gets kind of, uh, kind of cloudy 
where where you go from there, I guess. What what do you think? What would you do in a situation like that? My biggest thing is perio. I want to assess perio, right? right? And then there's decay management. But the thing is too, is with decay management is like, if I can prep the teeth and do the buildups and do decay management all in the same appointment, that's no, that's time efficient for the patient, mm -hmm. right? So I just want to focus on the perio, make sure the perio is solid. And then if they're thinking maybe, you know, full mouth where they need crowns, then all right, let's do diagnostic. So we get them set up for their SRPs or their, their perio. They come back, they see diagnostic casts. They're ready to move forward. The perio has been completed. Now I can sit there, I can prep all the teeth. I can get all the decay out. We can put temporary crowns. Mm -hmm. So it's more time efficient and we're getting the patient, they're doing what they want to do and it's highly productive. So it's like, it's a win-win across the board. Right. Yeah. I, I think the thing is, is just the way that the, uh, the preceptors or certain people yeah. want to do it. It's like, just do the buildups. You can't even prep yet. You got to, mm -hmm. it's just like that. I mean, it's, I heard a, yeah, it's dental school. It's got to be. I was going to yeah. I was going to say, I heard a, a great selling point about the, you know, like addressing the patient's chief concern while also Dr. Kupperman, like you were saying, addressing perio first, there's a dentist. Um, I can't remember his name. I listened to an interview and he said, and somebody asked him that question, you know, like how, you know, what's your approach to a patient that wants to just jump right into say, it was cosmetic work. This patient wanted veneer so badly, but they hadn't had a cleaning in like three years. So he said, you know, I gave an analogy of like a house. He's like, all right, well you have a house, right? And they're like, yeah. And he goes, well, you wouldn't put a new coat of painting on a house and he's pressure washing first. Right. And he's like, you're right. And he goes, so it's the same concept. I'm not going to paint your house. I'm not going to give you veneers without taking all of the dirt and all of the, the decay that you have in your mouth off. So I think putting it in, you know, something simple like that, they can understand, or even like your car, say they're a car guy, you know, I'm not going to put a new, you know, wrap job on your car without giving it a nice wash first, make sure everything is clean. I think making it in like something simple like that, where they can understand it. I think that will go a long way. Coming back to layman's terms, it really yeah. is just yeah. layman's terms, something that's relatable, honestly. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah. all cars, houses, whatever, yeah. you know. That's you, it. How, yeah. If you want to test your creativity, one of the first things I do when I talk to a patient is what do you do? Because everything I, I say to them about dentistry, I try to relate back to what they do because that's what they're an expert in. Mm -hmm. And then when they hit you with something weird, like, oh, I do so-and-so, like, I, I pick up, like, crap at the zoo, I'm going to relate it somehow. And I view it as, like, a, like a way of doing that because that's what they're going to get. And that helps with them. Oh, I get it. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Okay. You got to give me you an example of this. <laughs> okay. So for instance, I had a patient come in, like the whole mechanic thing. I've done that because where we work, we don't exactly have congressmen coming in to the, uh, to the dental clinic. Yeah. Yeah. Are. Okay. Okay. So another one was, um, I had somebody who was the manager of like some fast food restaurant. I want to hear the zoo example. This, this is a, like an arbitrary example. Okay. I haven't had a, I don't even know where there's a zoo around okay. here, but all right, all right. that was an arbitrary example more along the lines of like, like the manager stuff, right? Or like comes in and I said something to the effect of, um, if you have an employee not working, what do you do with the employee? So you try to coach them and try to see what you can do. And if not, you gotta get rid of them. I said, same thing with your tooth. I said, we've tried everything. The tooth isn't working. Yeah, it's gotta go. Gotta coach I said, we gotta, <laughs> we gotta get this fry cook out of there. This tooth is going. And he's like, oh, like, are you saying like there's nothing else we can do? And I said, there's nothing else we can do. I said the tooth is not restorable. All right. And all right, Matt, I got a good one for you. Go I got a I got a patient that is the manager slash pastor of a Christian biker group. Oh, okay. How do you relate that analogy? For you know, motorcycle. For mo for motorcycles. Okay. Yeah. How do you how do you go from there? You know, how do you use an analogy that they can understand on that one? That's the one I'm trying to think about. You're throwing zingers at me right now. This is a tough 
Yeah, you got you got a lot to work with. You got you got some background. He he, he can be relatable in a, in a bunch of that's, ways. That's that's relatable. I like that though. Honestly, I'm gonna quit dentistry. I'm gonna become his uh, assistant minister for this Christian biker group. Okay, so let's uh, let's bring it back to uh, Cole. First of all, did you have any questions for Doctor Covering? Because we're gonna continue with uh, leadership and uh, I got one. Practice. I got one for Cole. So we heard Doctor Coverman's take on it with his new patient stuff. How do you do that? How do you bridge the gap? You know, because you're a third year dental student, you started a couple months ago with patient exposure, you know, consistently. How do you bridge the gap then if a patient walks in and says, I want this, but they need eight other things before it's even feasible to try to make that happen? You know what I mean? You know, to be honest, I, the one with the house, you know, I think I'm going to try to be a little bit more relatable in the future, but the one that I've really used, because everyone understands the concept of a house. Um, that's kind of the thing that I do first, especially to get them to understand the perio. You know, I heard that it worked. It's very relatable. It's simple. I've used that. But as far as bridging the gap, I kind of just explain to them and I use a lot of visuals. Um, and I don't, you know, I think one of the things that I really like is I, I use Google as my friend. Um, I Google some things. So like if they, you know, they ask like what this is or I'll like simple or I'll say, hey, pull out your phone and Google it. And like right with them right there, they'll Google something. Like I, I'll give you an example. Like this patient was like, He's like, I like the idea of a bridge, but like, what is it? And I was like, I showed him a model and he's like, okay, cool. I was like, all right, we'll Google it. He's like, oh yeah, I Google everything. I was like, all right, well here, pull out your phone, Google it. Google what a dental bridge is. And he like pulls it up and he sees and he clicks on a YouTube video and he's looking at it and he's like, okay, cool. Yeah, I think I can get behind that. You know, like, so something like that where like it was literally in his hands, like literally in his hands to make this decision. And he was looking at it and he's like, oh, okay. I think I can wrap my mind around that. And I think that goes a long way when the patient can actually like touch it and they can visualize it in their head and they can see, okay, this is what's going to happen. This is what I need. And then I think also uh, clinical photos and taking pictures of things. I've done that with a lot of my cases now. I've taken them from people that were kind of hesitant where I took them from a, their start photo to the intermediate photo to the finished product. Um, and then just showing them the trend, the transition or I've shown them other people that I've done where I I took a start photo of this like bombed out decayed tooth that I thought was going to need a root canal. I ended up being heroic and saving it um, with a glass ionomer base and then building it up and nice filling. Fine. No problems. But I showed them that I was like, look, even a tooth like this, that looked like there was no hope for this. And it was going to need a root canal. I was able to save it. And I use that as like an example for this guy that was like, Oh, I'll just pull my tooth. And I was like, well, no, like let's be heroic and you can save this tooth. You're a young guy. You're in your forties. Like, let's do this. And so kind of just like examples and making it real and tangible rather than just saying words and being it like actual cases, like, and for the one guy, the Googling thing that made sense for him, but for somebody else, like to them, that's not real. You know what I mean? This was a real live person. Of course, for HIPAA sake, I didn't give names. I didn't include identifiers, but I was, I was careful with my photos and I showed them like, okay, this is a real person in their forties and this is what I did for them. And now they're going to have this tooth for X number of years down the road rather than just pulling it. And then we have to talk about replacement options or uh, they're looking like a pirate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Residual photos, the, the, the IOPs, man. It's like one of the most crucial things. You'll see your case acceptance just skyrocket, especially if like, you know, they need a crown or something because a big crack tooth. When I just have a nice picture of that crack mm -hmm. zoomed in, they're like, take a look. I don't even have to talk. You know, yeah, yeah. that's, that's one thing. If you're not doing intro photos, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Right. So what do you use for your intro photos? Like Mouthwash. It's great. It's inexpensive. You can, they're great. They're really good, man. They're so inexpensive and they work great. They merge with Eagle soft. 
podcast. Sometimes I feel like I do these podcasts. I'd be like, I should be getting like sponsorship from some of these products. Yeah, right? I mean, but they're just great. I mean, plugging away on these it's, products. It's a great, it's a great product. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Cole, like what you were saying, and along with the intraoral photos, uh, the co-diagnosis, and that's kind of I think what you were starting to implement there is having the patient like look up something on their phone so that they can come up with. Because I do that all the time. I ask the patient. I, I literally like pull up a like like you said, like pull up a photo and have the patient say or ask the patient, "What do you think is going on here?" Right? They see that big crack next to that giant amalgam. Oh, that looks like a crack. Yeah, and so we're gonna have to test it, see how far down that goes, to see if there's Both two different story. And I'll get as easy as do you think that belongs there? Realistically, okay, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and and. It's nice that if you could use like intraoral photos to do like this, because you're showing them their actual mouth rather than like a stock photo on Google, mm -hmm. which I do a lot. Like somebody, I was like, we might want to replace these amalgam fillings. And the patient's like, why? I'm not in any pain. And I was like, your tooth's black. It's leaking. It's been there for 60 years. It doesn't belong there anymore. He's like, well, how's it like, how do I know like it needs to be replaced? And I'll Google a picture of like a nice looking amalgam. And I was like, see how it's silver. It's normal. It's nice. And then I'll show them an ugly one on Google that's been in there for 60 years. I'm like, this is yours. Like, do you want this in your mouth? Like, ah, oh. and, and then they're more along the lines of trying to believe you and they want to at that point. Sometimes it can be a little combative thing that you're just trying to make money, mm -hmm. you know? I think that's when you implement these different strategies, you yeah. know? Like if you feel like there's a little bit of pushback or something, you feel like the patient doesn't understand they're not on board, then you go with these different uh, case acceptance strategies, mm -hmm. right? And I, I think this, you know, I don't, they don't teach this in dental school. So this would be, you know, fantastic to have, you know, right when you get out, if, you know, there's like a list, almost like a protocol, like a training protocol. Yeah. Preheating is huge too. So like your dental assistants, your mm -hmm. hygienists, they all have to be on the same exact page. Like they know they look into someone's mouth and they see a giant crack on a tooth. It's like, Hey, you know, this might need a crown. And then the hygienist sees them in cleaning. Hey, you know what? Like this might need a crown. They take an intro foot. The doctor comes in, Hey, this might need a crown. There's like some consistency there. And that mm -hmm. makes it where the patient's like, Oh, wow. Like I do need this. I've been told by three people today that I need this thing. Mm -hmm. Like you, let's start. <laughs> like, there you go. See, yeah. I, so strength in numbers at that point, do you use IOPs for everyone in your practice? Dude, I use like, IOPs every, for every, everything. So yeah. every, Carries, everybody also too, it's, it's just a legal thing. Like a, a cavity, a crack, mm -hmm. um, ortho crowding, plaque, there's no radio yeah there's no radiation okay. it's just automatic it's like bite wing pa iop okay every time and you, like let's say you're doing a procedure like let's say you're doing a crown do you do you take an iop for each step like you you do before the no, crown no, 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 then you no, prep no. it no no i just do the, the you know the failing mouth with a big crack that's it yeah. okay i okay. mean if we i mean i mean you got some of the, some of the doctors that work with me you know, like but like dr chu or dr anna they they're you know they're they want like the Mona Lisa photo of like the crown prep. Like, you know, they'll, they'll do, they'll do some, they'll, they'll do some oh. good, they'll do some good intro. Do they now? Yeah. <laughs> but, but I, I mean, I, for me, it's like, I have for legal liability, I have that giant yeah. crack tooth. I mean, I'm, I, I try to do before and afters, but I'm not into, you know, actually photographing the, the steps. But I mean, in dental school, you have, you have all yeah. the time in the yeah, world. Lots of time. You got time. So it's we're, like. We're neck deep in surgery. Yeah. I got this flap. He's like, hold that Minnesota real quick right here. <laughs> rotated eight degrees and he snaps the photo oh, yeah. he's oh, like, yeah. like let me adjust my exposure and he gets another one he's like we're good let's keep going the patient's over here like yes he's wearing off and he's over here still still snapping photos <laughs> okay so that's yeah that's all good so we talked about with case acceptance we talked about uh preheating co-diagnosis and the different analogies um 
So Dr. Kupnick, can you, can you tell us more about what it's like to be um, a new doc joining your, one of your practices? Um, so it depends if you're a new grad or if you're not, you know, if you have some experience, if you have experience, you're just going to walk in and just be like, oh my gosh, I'm like inundated. Like there's just so much dentistry to be done. It's like a kid in a candy shop. But if you're, but if you're like a new grad, it's going to be a little bit overwhelming because it's just a lot, you know, it takes right. some time. It typically will take a, at least a solid six months for you to start to get confidence in the clinical stuff. Because I feel like in dental school, you just get so, you know, you're kind of scared, you mm -hmm. know, you get close to the, to your moving cane, getting close to the nerve and you're like freaking out. And, you know, it's, it takes a little bit of time to get over that. Like, you know, sometimes people are going to need root canals. Sometimes people are going to lose teeth. It's just, it's the nature of the nature of practice. So I think for new grads in the beginning, it's, it's a lot, but it's exciting because you're like, oh, wow, what an opportunity. And like every day you're learning something, whether it's leadership or whether it's business or whether it's clinical, like also too, it's like, you're getting to pick the minds of all these different doctors that you're working with. Cause I've had some doctors that have been working with us for six years that have been practicing for like a decade, you know, or other doctors that have been practicing for 40 years. So it's like, you get to pick the minds of those different people. It's, it's, it's a pretty, pretty cool thing. Right. Yeah. So, so I remember uh, when Dr. Honest first started, uh, he, like you guys started doing implants and like he, he was just grinding like right off the bat. How, how was his whole experience? I wish he was here with us. You know, I haven't seen him in yeah. a couple of years, but he, he developed really quickly, but he was preloaded with a lot of stuff. Like when he was in dental school, he already had into real world. Like he already had the JB resing videos. He already had like every leadership book I was reading, like I would send to him. So mm -hmm. for, you know, for three to four years, he was already reading that stuff. So he developed really quickly. It took him about six months to get his confidence. And then he really started doing a lot of endo. And then also too, at the time, Dr. Morgan was another doctor. Mm -hmm. He'd been practicing for four years. Big panky guy did a lot of full mouth stuff. So he would train Dr. D on how to do that kind of stuff too. So he would start doing some bigger cases. And then he ended up going to a surgical course in Mexico, I think after a year and like placed like 40 something implants. So he got pretty confident in surgery and then he's you know it's still again it's a never-ending development of of the ce he's just been a ce junkie he like lived eat it and defecated like dentistry you know? <laughs> he, he in the cases man he was there late late at night you know he mm -hmm. was constantly reading literature all the time he was just really really dedicated and that's how he got to the level that he got to so quickly dentistry is kind of like that like you get in how much you put in right like mm -hmm. whatever you put into dentistry you'll get it back but if you just I don't know if you're not that into it or you don't like dentistry that much, or I don't know, you need to find something that you're really passionate. You love implants, do implants. You love ortho, do ortho. Like find something that you're really going to want to read up on a lot and study and practice. Cause then you'll, then you'll get better and you'll improve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was that implant course? Do you know what it was? Um, this guy, uh, Mangalo, he's in Mexico. Gosh, what is it? It's like implant educators or so it's not it's not the Garg's course. It's another Garg's guy. course. Uh, I think that's implant seminars. Is Miami? Yeah, Garg. Yeah, maybe it's I don't know. Implant ninja. In, implant no. educator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, it, maybe it was that? maybe it was implant educators. But I mean, the guy's Mangalo. He's like some big hotshot guy. They really pushed Blue Sky Bio. Um, but I mean, he thought he thought it was a good course. I would. I would take a course that's catered to by your system because I'm a big Strawman guy and we already had all the Strawman stuff. So say like whatever office, whatever implant system they're working with, I would try to find a course that goes with that because you're going to be a lot more comfortable because you're going to be placing implants with the same exact system that you already have at the office. Mm -hmm. So I think that's 
because there's yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of courses out there. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of systems to use too. Well, it's like mm -hmm. you want to. I mean, how hard is it to switch from one system to the other? I don't, I don't know. I just haven't used. I mean, I used tries like an Israeli system one time. Mm -hmm. um, just didn't really like it that much. Strauman is just really great implant, great brand. I'm taking two of my doctors to uh, AIE. It's in Foundry in Birmingham, Alabama. So mm -hmm. Very like renowned uh, implant residency in, in the nation, like one of the top ones, but taking nice. to the doctor. But it's it's by horizons, but I'm going with them because by horizons and Strauman are relatively similar. Strauman is just a lot less complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Because we're actually going to start. I, I placed a bone graft uh, like last month and we're supposed to be placing an implant soon. Mm -hmm. uh, we're about to do- What system are you guys have there? They're trying to implement something. We mm -hmm. might be like the first people to ever place implants at our school. Yeah. So um, it, it's- My guess would be highest now. It, it actually might not be. It might really? be uh, um, Blue Sky Bio or wait, what's the other one? Um, Biohorizons. Bio Biohorizons. Yeah, it might be. It bio probably is Biohorizons because they're like everywhere. Yeah. If I could, man, if I could get Strom in there, the hoof, man, you guys would be, you guys would be in business, man. Yeah. That'd be good. Well, I mean, I feel like you want to go with one that's big, so you got like have the rep when you're first starting. You know, have a rep come yeah. over and. Well, the thing is too is um I'm pretty sure that Aspen just took on Strawman. So and like again, Aspen like took on like a lot of like CareStream. So that's mm -hmm. why like I have Strawman at CareStream because I know like if there's. If they if they're servicing thousands of offices, then there's always going to be a tech. There's always going to be service available. So mm -hmm. I look at it from like a, a ten year standpoint when I try to adapt any kind of product. I want to make sure. All right, is there going to be reps? Is there going to be customer support there? You know, in a decade. Mm -hmm. So something mm -hmm. to consider. I mean, well, you know, what else Aspen just took on the med spas. Yeah. They got, what like mm -hmm. ten med spas now? Yeah. Aren't they supposed to put them like CVSs or something like that? Uh, in Lakeland, uh, Walgreens. I, CVS, Walmart. Is it a Walmart? Walmart? It might be a Walmart. In, uh, There's going to be dental offices everywhere. Wait till, wait, wait till they pass mid level providers. Honey, I'm bringing my ass <laughs> and maybe a crown while I'm at it. Like, yeah. Well, now is a good time to get your license before the mid level provider. Can you imagine? I mean, I know it's in Minnesota, but like there's some senator, I guess, in Florida that's really pushing it. But man, that would just, that would completely change the landscape of practicing. Oh, yeah. It's like the role of like a hygienist and a mid level provider. Like, would they coincide? Would the mid-level provider replace the hygienist? You know, it's like- It's you know, a dental PA. Yeah. yeah. I was, yeah, I was right. uh, listening to the exact duties. I actually wrote a paper on this. Um, and a lot of times it's going to be like your operative and your fix. That's going to be mostly what the mid-level providers do. Mm -hmm. So how is that going to affect these? How, what, what's, what's the insurance companies going to do? Well, how does it affect the individual itself? Like you go to school for four years, invest hundreds of thousands of dollars, and that's our bread and butter. At that point, I'll see you in surgical residency because mm -hmm. they're not doing anything like that. They're not going to touch the tissues. They're not going to do anything like that. Right. So are they not doing, are they not doing simple extractions? They might do simple extractions. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, so at, at that point though, I mean, you think about it, you want to be the owning doc sooner rather than later. That way you could just start implementing it. You already have the, you know, the equity established, you already own the building, you already own the, your name's on the door. You could just bring in what, two or three of them and they just cut the, fill, the, the crowns and the fillings and everything. And mm -hmm. that, they're, that's it. And then the real doctor stuff, I mean, doctor stuff at this point, you get to do, mm -hmm. you know, the perio surgery, whatever it needs, like the, the simple stuff, because no, like they talk about like the robots doing that, like robots aren't going to be doing surgery. They, they're not going to be doing surgery. What do you see the new stuff that they got? It's that yeah. thing that you put in and it, there's a little burr that goes around. It's like a stent. And it, and it cuts it exactly. And it, yeah. it, they have it now. It's out. Wow.
but again, it's like, that's been around forever. That's just a milling machine. Just now it's within the metal, mm. you know, it's been around for decades, you know, actual milling, you, you mill parts in like engineering, stuff like that. But now you're milling teeth, you know, and realistically too, you could have, I mean, I don't, I'm sure you'd have to have one doctor present. You could probably just, you don't even need a mid-level provider for that. You just have a technician that's trained with the system. Mm-hmm. And then the doctor's there to watch the clinical aspect of it and then and manage the patient medically. You could do that. And you could, you could, you could, I read an article about this. I forgot where it was. Somebody posted on Facebook. And oh, so one, it must be true. It was one of the dental <laughs> groups, but I found it on Facebook. Uh, you're taking out of context. But um, they were posting and it was, it was written by a doctor and how he viewed the, the take of if, you, if you're going to have the milling machines come in and do that. And he said, like, the doctor would just be there to medically manage the patient, anesthetize, right. and then the rest of it's done by some sort of technician that paid pennies on the dollar for it. And, um, but the problem is though, if you're the associate doc, you're getting hurt by that. If you're the owning doc, like if you're the government in the situation, you're making money. If you're me in this situation, I'm in trouble. I'll see you in surgical residency, you know, cause I won't be able to, you, you, you're, you're getting outcompeted by a robot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, the, the overall thing here, and I, I've said this a lot on this podcast is that um, the future of dentists in the like over the course of like 50 years it's eventually going to be leaders in the practice maybe not as much the technicians because that can be outsourced mm-hmm. in a sense i can't imagine mid-level provider diagnosing obviously right correct right i mm-hmm. mean i don't know if you read that in the job description but i wouldn't see them diagnosing no i don't think so yeah i think uh so i actually did a presentation so my uh, grand rounds i think other schools do this we do this here at our school we do a grand rounds presentation mine was access to healthcare in the united states and so I actually touched on dental therapist. There's that mid-level provider. And currently as of 2020, I just pulled up my PowerPoint so I could give you the exact statistics. As of 2020, these are the states that have allowed them to practice or there is a like a, a bill that's allowing them to practice in certain situations. So currently it's authorized in Minnesota, Maine, Vermont, Arizona, Michigan, New Mexico, Nevada, and Connecticut. But in addition, Alaska, Washington, Idaho, Oregon, and Montana have authorized dental therapists to practice only on tribal lands. Right, and that paper that I, I wrote, the the whole thing. This is for Doctor uh, Doctor Zamuski, one of one of those papers in that class. Um, but the the purpose of the mid level provider was to reach the underserved because they couldn't get the doctor right. to go out in the middle of nowhere in Alaska, but they could get the dental therapist too. Mm-hmm. So that was like the whole point of that. Right. And now the crazy part is like we were saying, like, what's their role or what are they allowed to do? Each of these, when I was looking into them, each of the states have different things that they're allowing them to do or different levels of supervision that they need. Like some of the states, for example, need a full-time fully licensed DMD or DDS on staff while one of these mid-level level providers is working while others, they don't have to be present. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, you know, Time will tell. I think, didn't they just reject the bill of this like last year or something? Yeah, 2020. Up again. But you could you could replace them with a trained monkey and you can never know the difference. Yeah. You know. Okay, so switching gears here a little bit. Um, so Dr. Coverman, you've been looking at a couple other uh, areas here and there, you know, for, for future expansion, that sort of thing. Can you talk to us about that? Like what you're looking at, things that you're looking for, who you're looking for? Um, I mean, I just like the Northwest of Florida, honestly. Just nice people. It's not too crowded. Um, just lower lower cost of practice, lower prices of real estate. It's kind of funny too, because it's like dentistry costs the same everywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, 
I know it's like if the real estate's way cheaper and then your wages are less expensive, obviously just better business and just purely economics. Um, but for me too, when I look at expansion, I'm at a point where I want to find a, an office that's just already running well and has like a senior doctor there that wants to stay and keep working. Cause I've already built up offices. I've been there. I've done that. I've done the blood, sweat and tears. You know, I've, <laughs> I've, earned, I've earned my right to kind of be where I am, but I, right now I'm focusing on something that's going to make my life easier. And then also help me have more expanded reach, have more geographic coverage. Um, just kind of, cause I think as you get a little bit bigger, you know, you get more leverage. Um, but the biggest thing is just having doctors, you know, and having dentists that are willing, willing to come and work. So I think, I don't know, I feel like Defuniac is kind of a good area that around there, like Destin or, you know, PCB, because you, you know, you have a bunch of you guys that are graduating every year. Um, that are looking looking for jobs, mm -hmm. and I think after living in Defuniac for a year, you could probably live anywhere. So, <laughs> you know, uh, it's yeah. like Tallahassee is like a metropolitan. So, but yeah, yeah. that's kind of yeah. kind of kind of kind of where I look. I mean, I I want to stay kind of local. I don't plan on going, you know, South Florida or Tampa or, or really anywhere. I mean, I feel like the South of Georgia is a great place. I mean, mm -hmm. I feel like that's just waiting, but it's just a, such a pain to get a license there. What's the um, difference with the license in Georgia? Is it it's just a whole, it's a whole different boards. I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty tough. Kind of like how, I mean, they do, I don't know. They do it for a reason. Maybe it's, they do it to keep Georgia dentists out of Florida and, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. But I think South Georgia is good. Again, that the Southern hospitality, you know, patients are really grateful. I think that's, that's the kind of environment you want to be in. It sucks being, you know, maybe an office where it's like the most high maintenance patients and they're not grateful. And it's like, you have to do that every single day. I mean, that's gotta talk about a high suicide rate, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I know I could, I could go on with that about the, uh, you know, the Georgia license and everything uh, because um, when uh, the OS at our school was looking at expanding, he's in Tally and he was looking at expanding. So he went and got his Alabama license because it was so much easier getting the Georgia license. And that was his first plan was, he shot for Georgia. He was like, there's no way I'm doing this. He said, I'm an oral surgeon and they make it a living hell to try to get the license. He's like, I could just easily drive over to Alabama and do the same deal. And he got it like that. No problem. Yeah. You know, there's some states you can just go in and pay a fee. And if you've been practicing for a certain amount of time, they just give you amnesty and then you can start practicing. That. Yeah. From reciprocity for sure. Yeah. Very cool. I love that. Mm. So, so when, when expanding, like, are you trying to expand to a like and like far enough away to where it's a little distant from Tallahassee where your other offices are, but close enough to where it's easy to get to. So it's not like you have to make a plan. Like, all right, yeah. I gotta go here. For I'd the, say I'd for say within week. within an hour or two. An hour or two. But I just feel like at the size I'm at, man, we're at a, we're just at a good we're a good size. We have a good support network. I have great management in place. Cool. Um, just really good doctor culture. The doctors I've gotten so lucky with, just great guys. Mm -hmm. I mean, half of it is just working with good people that you trust and that you like. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, when I, I, sometimes I feel like I'm in a pretty, pretty good spot right now to, I mean, expanding would only be like, if it was just like, wow, it's just like a home run opportunity where like, I couldn't say no, but I'm not, it's like, I'm actively looking to expand, mm -hmm. but I just like visiting offices. I like meeting doctors. It's kind of like a, it's like a hobby, man. I just, enjoy people enjoy mm -hmm. enjoy hearing people's stories especially older doctors you know that've been practicing for so long they always have their tidbits they have their advice and you you learn from each and every one of them there's always something to learn yeah, yeah. the silver-haired dentist yeah the silver-haired dentist man that's what i do i do this at my school every single time uh I, every time i have a question about something i ask like four or five different preceptors yeah. and it's funny more than not more than often i get four or five different answers on occasion you'll get you know, relatively somewhere in the ballpark of the same answer. 
but uh, I have a, we have a preceptor at our school. He literally, he calls me out every single time. He goes, I know you're asking everybody the same question. He goes, why are you doing that? I was like, it's, you know, for the sake of experience. I want to see how you would tackle it. What's your approach? Why? You know, and like you were saying, Dr. Kaufman, you know, asking somebody with 40 plus years of experience, I mean, they've seen dentistry go through all different kinds of changes and they've tackled it the same way, either how they learned it in school and how they've adapted to certain things. I have a great story for you guys. So my grand, Dr. Kaufman, I don't know if you know this, my grandfather was a dentist. Um, he graduated from Fairleigh Dickinson in 1967. And um, you, you'll love this. So he was placing like, you know, all kinds of bridges and fixed pros, you know, all throughout all the transition when PFM was like all the rage and then we went to porcelain and zirconia, whatever. So he says, you know, this is crazy. So he went to this course that's like going to teach you all this new and improved system of like properly cleaning out a temporary or cleaning out a permanent from cement. This technique is literally tying knots in the floss and using it to floss in between the interproximals and this was all the rage in the early 80s like no one has thought of this before this is huge and my grandfather's like we spent a, a couple thousand on this this weekend and that's this guy's big new and improved thing how to instantly boost your practice with no money you know what i mean like that's that's wild that's where we've come from I feel like digital dentistry right now is pretty much the rave though. Like the intro scanners and, you know, cone beam, it's just, I mean, it transforms the way you practice. It's just mm -hmm. amazing. It's like, you're like in the matrix, you know, like you just feel like, <laughs> you feel like you're seeing things so clearly, you know, shout out to the fourth movie coming out too, <laughs> especially oh, yeah. practicing without it for, you know, so many years. And then you transition to using CBCT and using intro scanners and man, it just, makes life so much more predictable and easy and you're just doing better dentistry what what scanners do you use um, i use itero just because i'm a big invisalign guy but if you think about it too that scanner it takes six thousand images of every surface of the tooth i mean that's a lot of data and on top of that it merges that data with all the other data of all the other scanners so now you start having like an artificial intelligence component when it comes to chewing cycles and excursion and canine guidance so when you're fabricating these prosthetics or these big crown cases, these labs have this AI that they're putting into your final restoration. So the accuracy, it's, incredible. it's just like, you don't even have to be that good. You just have to have this scanner that kind of does a lot of the work for you. So that's pretty cool. It's at the point now where like the lab fabricated restoration is better than the natural tooth, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. for whatever reason, mm -hmm. it just, it works better. Yeah. It's incredible. It's just fascinating too, because in dental school, as you guys can all relate, porn models, face bow, mounting, all the hours and time and energy and like sweat that goes into trimming a die, mixing the stone and vibrating the bubbles out. And I mean, I think about that and it's like now I tarot two minutes, boom, I have a diagnostic cast with full excursive movements, like everything. And it's like, I have all the different angles I can zoom in and I can use that to do orthodontics. I can use that to do full mouth, like restorations. Like it's just, it's, it's wild. It's wild. Like the, the way you practice dentistry is now is just so exciting. It's so exciting. Which kills me that dental school is nothing like that. Mm -hmm. I know Nova had, they had some scanners, um, but I mean, I feel like the dental schools need to adapt some kind of, some kind of scanner just to kind of show oh, yeah. you, because I mean, you want to do it the manual way, pack the cord and do the PBS, the heavy light body and, you know, respect the margins and see what a good impression is. But you do that, do it the manual way and then check out the scanner. And you're mm -hmm. like, well, all I got to do is just rotate, see all the margins, see the contacts, make sure I have enough clearance and boom, you're ready to go. So you use iTeris like more clinically speaking 
do you have to like keep it super gingival on the margin in order to get a good scan for it or will it go so far um you, you can do either or i mean i'm a for posterior molars i'm a big super gingival margin mm -hmm. just because it's easier to clean but if you're doing you know equigingival or subgingival you just have to pack cord you know okay. you so just pack, pack cord for you gotta yeah. you gotta pack cord you you gotta pack cord some people use they uh, pack the white teflon tape too which supposedly really makes the margin pop but mm -hmm. yeah okay. all right so okay Speaking of this, so you recently went to the Strupp and Brum course. Mm -hmm. um, what did, so tell me, what did you think of that course? And uh, what are some things that you kind of took away from it? Is a lot of stuff that I'd seen before. Um, a lot of stuff that I've like that I've done. Um, I've been to, you know, a lot of, a lot of pinky courses. I've done, you know, full, full mouth crowns before, but I think the, Biggest thing with it, I like their techniques. I mean, I think I, th I think they're very respectable. They do some remarkable work and like the, the stuff that they accomplish with the core paste on some of these teeth is just out of this world. Like the restorability, you would think it's not restorable and then they, they can pull it off. But I think one of the biggest things is like the first day, um, Strupp just goes into this mindset um, of just having like this amazing customer service and just practicing dentistry a different way you know he doesn't even do fillings anymore he just does direct restorations and does crowns and it's it's kind of like a mental shift where it's like you can practice like that if you want yeah. to like you don't have to just do fillings or just do basic stuff or do stuff that you're not excited about you can get to a level where you know all you do is just you know crown cases so i think that 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 might i think one thing that was cool that stuck with me struck he said he said it's not your job to save the patient money it's your job to save the patient's dentition for a lifetime. So mm -hmm. quit focusing on how much the patient's spending and focus more on giving this person a healthy, happy smile. So and like that whole thing, it's like a mental shift because I feel like when you first come out, we were also we were broke when we were in dental school and we think, oh, like no one would ever spend five, 10, 15, $20,000, you know? And so it's, it's a self-limiting belief that then reflects on the patient. Mm -hmm. So that whole thing and that course, like the big, big data helps you kind of get over it. Another thing too, I love quoting Howard Fran, great guy. I've learned a lot from him. He says that uh, the average person buys a 30 to $40,000 card nine times in their lifetime. So if they're going to spend 20 or $25,000 once on a great smile dentition, that's going to help them be healthy and eat. Like you're kidding yourself that that's not worth it. Right. That's so funny. That's an awesome it, analogy. It, I remember I like that. People say that all the time. Yeah. all the time. Yeah. So just it's it's a mental shift, and that's again one of the struggles that that new grads come out with. You're just like you know, hundred dollars is a lot of money to you when you're graduating, but you just got to realize that these people, older people, retired people, they have hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they want service. They're sitting there, and they want you to to help them. They want you to give them teeth. Like mm -hmm. they they want to be happy. They want to chew. They want to eat. So help them. Don't have a self limiting belief that they can't afford it. Never diagnose someone's pocketbook. I mean, they, they used to tell you that in dental school all the time. So. Mm -hmm. I, have a, I have statistics for you from the ADA from my presentation compared to Florida, because we're from Florida. Here, I'll give you one in four individuals in the state of Florida are unhappy with their smile or wish they could change their smile. That's the current statistic from the ADA for the United States. The current statistic is one in five. So if you run those numbers, that's 20 and 25% of the population of both Florida and the United States. You think if the United States population is 330 some million, 20% of them don't like their smile or wish they could do something to change their smile. That's a lot of patients. Yeah. And, and what is like 93% of the United States population goes to the dentist. So that's right. a huge number 
what that's ready to be tapped into. Yeah. Another thing too, back to that statistic and the new patient exam, how you guys started off initially. One thing I always do is I always ask, are you happy with your smile? And again, too, you know, four out of five times, like they'll be like, yeah, everything's fine. But then there's always that, that one person that's like, oh gosh, this crowding or oh, this staining, or I hate how these teeth look. They're all worn down because I've been grinding on them. And they know, tell me more about that, you know, and then you can get them talking and then you can lead into, uh, you know, you have some kind of guide that shows like, you know, nice ceramic teeth. Oh, like, what do you think about this? Like, we could potentially make your teeth like this. Really? You can do that? Yeah. But it all spawned from that one question. Are you happy with your smile? Or does the crowding of your teeth bother you for Invisalign? Just small questions. If they say, no, everything's fine. Great. On to the next patient. But so critical. So when you ask that question, do you try to build a little rapport and gain their trust so they feel you know, okay, answering a more vulnerable question where they, they show. Well, it's not like I just walk into the room. Hi, I'm Dr. Kupperman. Are you happy with your smile? I walk in, I I chit chat. I, that's, I'm doing a whole exam. I'm doing a whole exam, this and that. And then the last question, like, are you happy with your smile? Okay. You know, something, something casual like that, but typically too, it's kind of funny. It's like when patients come in, it's like, they almost look at you like you're like a psychologist or something. It's, I mean, patients come in, they just open up to you like oh i have the time to like talk to a doctor you know mm-hmm. like patients will just i mean you ask them a question mm-hmm. and they will just like vomit out what yeah. they're thinking it's so weird it's so weird but okay it kind of makes you feel good too <laughs> it does yeah you yeah. know where it's like somebody views you as they feel like in a safe place to be able to mm-hmm. open up to you like this you're a medical professional you're a doctor mm-hmm. i mean they're they trust you i mean we go through this this extreme strenuous education we have these board exams ethics everything i mean to get licensed in the state of Florida is it's not easy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they look at us like we're a respectable individual that they can trust. Right. So always keep that in mind. Don't think like, Oh, they don't trust me. No, they do. They want, they want your help. Mm-hmm. So building off of what you just said, when you're, when you're um, diagnosing and talking to the patient about all of this, uh, how do you present? Cause this is not something that we learn in dental school. How do you start building your case and start presenting the plan to the patient when you're doing implants or like a full mouth case. Cause I know you do a good amount of those. So, mm. so how is that different uh, where we would not have had that experience thus far? Well, the biggest thing is phasing the treatment plan. And also too, sometimes it's better to not um, drown the patient in codes and different procedures. If they want something, say that they're like mouths rotten and they want implants and they want overdentures don't go into like avioplasty codes and surgical extractions and bone grafts and, you know, mm-hmm. in the, in the precision attachments, you're just gonna, you're gonna confuse them. What I like to do is I like to see what they exactly what they want on the bigger compre- comprehensive cases and then roll it back to, all right, what's the total cost going to be. Okay. And then mm-hmm. I can have the, I can have the, the, mm-hmm. the staff of front put together a whole treatment plan, but I need like a ballpark, like what's the total cost. And I'm trying, I try not to talk with finances with the patient. Um, it's better not to, it's better to have, you know, a, another coordinator kind of come in and discuss that with them. It's good to kind of keep separate from the numbers, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's like, it's like, yeah, no, it could, it could cost as much as a new car, you know, it could cost, you know, as, as much as a, a new truck, you know, and then you kind of see the reaction, you know, mm-hmm. it's called like trying on the little black dress, you know, mm-hmm. kind of see mm-hmm. if it fits, but that's, that's, that's just something, but those bigger cases, it starts with phasing it, but then a total cost because on those bigger cases, you need to do everything or, or, or nothing. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't do some things with those big comprehensive cases. It's, you can do, it's all or nothing. So you have to have everything lined out and you have to have a full cost and then see if the patient accepts it. Do you have like a, so when, when a patient comes in and 
let's just say for all on four, mm -hmm. do you have a number in mind that you just kind of give to them? Just, okay, they want it all on four, both arches. This is my ballpark number that I usually. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then what's, what's like a timeline that you usually give for a case like that? For overdentures, it's a little bit easier because I know all I need is impressions. I need uh, inter, uh, interim dentures. And then I just need to place the implants and extract the teeth and do the bone grafts. Mm -hmm. But as long as I have dentures, then I'm good. So mm -hmm. they have the dentures that come and I can do the whole procedure and take out the teeth, place the implants, primary closure, put them in dentures with a soft reline, and then I'll see you in four or five months. Mm -hmm. So that's your timeline. But after you've done quite a, quite a few of those cases, you're just like, yeah, it's not complicated. We'll do the surgery in four to five months. We'll get you some new dentures and we'll reline. So it's like the total time frame should be no longer than six months. And then they have gotcha. a full, full blown smile. Mm -hmm. if, if it comes to like more crowns, cosmetic, then it's more of like a two week turnaround because I need to get the models. I need to get my, my models. I need to get the reduction stent. I need to get my provisional putty. I need to get all that stuff. And then come back, we prep the teeth and two weeks later, we'll deliver the crown. So you have a brand new smile in a month. Mm -hmm. So don't make it seem like it's all this grandiose thing that's going to be drawn out and take all this time. It's not that school. Yeah. Just you try know, to, try to, try it. to, try to keep it, keep it simple, stupid mm -hmm. and try to streamline the process. Obviously if they need perio or something else like that, but especially surgery, like if their teeth, their teeth are all coming out, like the timeline is the teeth come out, the implants go in, mm -hmm. you know? So it's, sure. it's, it's a little bit easier. So what's like a, a pushback that you get? I'm assuming it's like usually the associated fee, right? Is that usually what happens with the, the big implant cases? It's, it's a, it's a financial factor that the patient's pushing back. I guess too, but it's kind of like, um, the David Geller course, the Align course with Invisalign, he did this example and it was like an iPhone ad mm -hmm. and it was like, buy the iPhone for, you know, $900 or it was like, buy the iPhone for eight, $10 a month. And like the $10 a month, it ended up costing like $1,400, but 99% of the time the people chose the $10 a month. Mm -hmm. So you got to start, stop focusing so much on that top line and focus on what's a monthly payment that's going to fit into the patient's lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one thing. Cause if you just say, Hey, Harry, you know, write me a check for 30 grand. Right. Like, there's not a lot of right. people that can do that, but Oh, why don't you pay $200 a month and you can have a great smile that you can chew and eat with, you know, for the rest of your life. How does mm -hmm. that sound? So it's a lot better. It's, it's, there's more value there. That's great. So. And I think that's something that I don't think, I don't know if any other dental schools have payment plans. Um, I, don't think, I don't know if I don't they know. do or not. No, not sure. So I, I remember uh, usually that. payments all do up front. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we got such discounted fees anyway. Yeah, in right. dental school, right? So discounted fees. I mean, they might just want to collect. Mm -hmm. You know. So, what's your opinion? Like, you run these big cases, you do the surgery and everything. What's your opinion on doing like IV sedation for them? Um, I don't do IV sedation. I just do contra sedation. So I just okay. work, work with Halcyon. Yeah, okay. it works works pretty good. Um, if they need something heavier. Then you know, gotta gotta refer them out. But typically, I've talked to some surgeons too. They don't like to do IV at times because it's very time consuming in the setup. Mm -hmm. It's very you know the monitoring. The amount of there's just a lot yeah. of stuff that goes into it. Whereas like if you've started doing surgery before, I mean you can go in there and get the patient numb, and I mean you can be done with surgery in an hour. So it's like mm -hmm. why would you sit there for an hour and wait to drip them? You know. Mm -hmm. So yeah, but yeah, I mean I'm a huge fan of conscious sedation. The Docs course yeah. out of I think it's Georgia is really good. Mm -hmm. um, but Dose. yeah, Halcyon's good. It's safe. I mean, they probably had like two and a half million dosages of this wow. conscious sedation, no fatalities or anything. Because so. it also doesn't tie you up versus like if you push drugs on IV sedation, mm. you're stuck there. Yeah, you're, and, you're right and they're, there and they're the taking it. They're taking it before they come in the office too. So nice. yeah, they're preloaded. Um, you usually do an hour before the appointment. Hopefully, they take it correctly. Yeah, you know, that's probably. Yeah. Mm. 
you know, you make sure that it's yeah. done right because if not, they screw up the, you know, conscious sedation, but mm. that's cool though. So, so you give Halcyon and then what was it like an hour before and then one at the time of the appointment and then um it just it just an hour before hour before okay. yeah okay. yeah you're legally not allowed to like titrate or give them more after that first dose mm -hmm. gotcha gotcha yeah all right Very cool. so um i want to kind of touch on the just kind of some general things that you've found to be beneficial uh with your group practice uh what are what are some things that uh associates can look forward to uh, when joining a group practice run by all the doctors um, and just kind of versus, you know, going to a, a, a much larger corporate route or to like a solo practice or. Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that our group is a little bit more personalized, like each and every one of my doctors, um, like consider them, I guess, like not just a colleague, but a friend but I also try to listen to what the doctor is looking for. Like, you know, what, what do they want to develop in? Like, what's their clinical focus? And then I try to help them as much as I can to get them productive to a point. Cause my whole thing is I want them to become good doctors and I want them to get productive enough to where they're sustaining themselves. And then you can start to flourish into more, you know, um, clinical advancement. But the whole thing with, with my doctors is they're going to know off the bat when they come and join us, we're going to be focusing on surgery and we're going to be focusing on endo. Cause those are like the, that's the basis of dentistry. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you can't do an extraction or root canal, like you're not a dentist, <laughs> you know, a general mm -hmm. dentist, like you're not providing a service. Like a patient comes in in pain, like be able to relieve the pain of a mm -hmm. patient. I feel like that's the, the basic thing. And that's the way to quickly get busy. Cause there's always surgery and there's always root canals. Right. So that's the thing. It's just that clinical development of that is going to be one of, one of the biggest things that I focus on. But another thing too is just like, again, I think each of them, every one of my dentists, they're different. They're tailored. Some are like more driven to learn about more leadership and business. Some are more driven to learn more about clinical or ortho or full mouth reconstruction. But I just try to tailor their experience the best they can. And, you know, I hope that they enjoy themselves. And like, and if it comes to a point where like, you know, they want, they want to buy their own office or, you know, they want some kind of equity, like figure, figure out a way to, to make it work and help mm -hmm. them out. So at the end of the day, I just try to be there for them. You know, it's, they're, they're a person, they're a doctor. They're not one of, you know, I don't know, thousand dentists, but yeah. Awesome. Love it. I like that. So, so you, if let's say you're a, a doc, one of your associates approaches you and like, I'm not trying to buy my office. Mm -hmm. When, when they want to buy that office, are you going to help them with like the contracts and looking at that stuff? Like you, yeah. you there's no I love loss. Them, you'll, I, you'll I tell them, them I say, I say, look at like, let's look at the financials. Let's look at the office. I'll go visit the office. I'll, you know, I'll help them out if they, if they really want it. At the end That's of the cool. day, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, my success is in their success. Right. So it's like, mm -hmm. if they're some huge success story, then what's that going to do for me? That makes me look great. It's going to make other doctors want to come want to come work. And I think that's why I've been able to grow from, from three locations with four dentists to five locations with 10 dentists, because like the story, it, it ripples, like people hear it. Like I treat my doctors and my staff very fairly. I treat them well. And, and I just have a good relationship and that, that builds on it. So if so be it, like another doctor, like wants to be more, you know, get, get more success and I can help them by all means. Um, but I think I have that kind of relationship with, with my doctors that they are transparent. Like if they're thinking about, man, you know, I really want to buy an office or something like that. All right, let's do it. I mean, I, funny enough, I've literally started a consulting company, the transition doctors, and I've, I've already gotten quite a few clients that are looking at offices and it's like, man, I feel like I'm helping them because they're just mm -hmm. 
they're literally shooting in the dark. Like you don't know what anything's worth. Like they don't know what a good deal is or a bad deal is. So the fact that I can start doing consulting now too is kind of fun. Um, but it's like the consulting services. That's another thing too. It's like, if I can broker the practice deal too, that's a, that's a win-win as well. If I can broker the practice, you know, we, we both, we both win. So, um, but yeah, there's, there's multiple havens. There's multiple havens. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want it to feel like when you come in and you become an associate that that's like your, that's your lifelong thing. Sometimes people like being an associate, but sometimes people want more. And there's, there's no surefire recipe for your journey in dentistry. It's different for everybody. So we just try to tailor it to that experience. I think the biggest takeaway from this is, and I'm sure we've had some other people say this and I've heard some other docs say this before is I think dentistry truly is one of those professions that it truly is a people business. Mm -hmm. I think taking into consideration everything we've talked about this evening, um, where dentistry is going, where it's been in the past, it's always been a people business. A lot of this has been about, you know, how are we managing patients that come in? How are we managing other associate docs that come in? And at the core of all of this is, is people. It's the business of people. Fortunately enough too, I mean, there's just a lot of dentists and there's a lot of, a lot of dentistry. So we're in a, we're in a great field. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, bright future for dentistry in general. Um, but yeah, it's exciting. Let's get it. All right, guys, you heard it here first. Another episode of Dental Student Vibes, Dr. Nathan Kupperman. Um, hit us up on dental.student.vibes on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Dr. Kupperman, uh, any, uh, social media handles, any, any way to get in contact with you? Uh, just NAC, NAC dental group, NAK dental group, or N Kupperman at NACDentalGroup.com. So again, to you, I'm more than happy to answer any questions. Kind of like, kind of like an open book. I just like to be as transparent as possible because, it's just a lot of, a lot of things to learn. I think one of the first things I do with a lot of my doctors, I just give them books. I mean, it's funny, like my doctors will joke like, oh gosh, I got another book from Dr. Kupperman. You know? <laughs> it's like accountability. Oh, here's the accountability book or, you know, it's a leadership book. Here's a leadership book or, or like, uh, you know, how to get your patients to say yes. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm, I like, I like giving people books. So love yeah. it. Yeah. Awesome. All right, guys, take care and we'll talk to you next time. Bye bye. All right, guys, that'll do it with our interview with Dr. Nathan Kupperman, giving us all the tips and tricks we need to grow a quality and successful group practice. Make sure you guys give us a like, comment, and review on Instagram at dental.student.vibes. Make sure you guys just let us know what we did, if we could do anything better, or if there's anyone else that you would like us to find an interview for you. Any topics, any certain people, any professionals, you guys let us know. We will find them. So as always, stay safe and vibe on.